Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. Steven Ossetowski here of MGO Fish. Joining me as always, the dynamic duo, Harry Hillman. You can find him on Twitter, at HarrisonQuinn90. Find me on Twitter, at Steven Toski. This is the second try at this episode. We were about 30 minutes into this MGO Fish podcast. I was not recording my voice. I want to kind of post that entire 30 minutes of just Harry alone talking to nobody. <laughs> Great. I think it'd be awesome, actually. That's, that's really because um, the Halle Berry, I was just about to bring that up. That Halle Berry, like, little tangent was was elite and got one of the Stephen Ossentosky, like, genuine laughs of the week. So um, so maybe that would, would kind of convey the hilarity of the situation. <laughs> we talked, I'll, I'll give a general overview. I said, you can find at Halle Berry on Twitter. Um, and then you mentioned that you could find her in your DMS. I roasted, oh, yeah. I roasted you for that. We, oh yeah. We talked about your, your amazing bucket hat, the Iowa Hawkeye bucket hat. You have a, uh, we're on Skype right now. So you have a, a wonderful, uh, mowing related, uh, sunburn from your tank top, which is, which is elite sunburn. Um, Oh yeah. (laughs) But, but sorry guys that you guys didn't get that, uh, that initial banter. I, if you can't tell by my voice, I'm still, uh, pissed at myself for not recording (laughs) my voice. I'm checking OBS is the software and I'm, uh, I'm checking it every second now to ensure I'm recording, but we're here, Harry. We're we're doing this a second time. It's going to be even better than the first iteration. We have lots of things to go through today. Some for a second time on our end. We got Junior Colson who committed to the Wolverines at 3 p.m. today, Sunday, uh, May 24th. We got some recruit review episodes to talk about. We'll talk some death chart. I know there's a couple news items that. Uh, we can potentially talk about, and then a a juicy top five. We did some some top five movies uh, on our last podcast or two podcasts ago, and then we got some top five. I won't spoil it for the listeners here, but we'll get to that at the end of the podcast. So, and uh, you know what? To make up for it, it, since you look like you're you're just a little frustrated, I will be breaking <laughs> a little bit of news later Ooh. this podcast. Um, I got to bring a little spice and pizzazz. You do. Uh, Got to, got to lift the energy level up. Yeah, it. we're a team. You're you're on the ground. I got to pick you up, throw you on my shoulders, take you the length of the football field. Like, um, you ever seen that movie, Facing the Giants? Oh, great oh, scene. My. Oh, horrible movie though. <laughs> Terrible horrible movie for movie. that scene. Terrible. My mom got it for me because uh, she's like, oh, it's football, without realizing, oh, it's um, it's a religious movie oh, with what? football, which is like, it's fine if it's that's fine. your thing, but. I'm a, I was like an 11-year-old Jewish kid saying, like, what the fuck is this? <laughs> what a great mom movie, though. A mom, what? like, I'm going to pick up a movie from Blockbuster, religious football. Oh. That is that is an elite football mom-approved movie. Oh, yeah. 100%. She right? the movie more than I did, though. It's like, it's like the budget version of Rudy, except, <laughs> <laughs> except not quite. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but you're right. I, I do feel like I got hit, um, by junior Colson in the backfield as a, a small high school quarterback, which I was, I was like a third string quarterback. <laughs> I was mainly a linebacker, but I played for a tiny, tiny little high school. I was not very good. I'll, 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 I'll be frank with that. Someone who is good, this four-star outside linebacker out of Ravenswood high school in Tennessee. How about that transition? 
Are, are we talking about me now? No, get out of here. Oh. <laughs> you don't have the speed Junior Colson does at 6'2", This guy runs a 4'7'7". If you can run that, Harry, I have a scholarship for you to Michigan. I can't give that away, but I, I know a guy I can I can call up. I don't know a guy, but <laughs> let's, let's just say my, my offensive line coach in college, you say you could measure my 40 with a sundial. Wow. That is, he would roast me. <laughs> That's Oh rough. my goodness. I'd run like, I wasn't fast. I'd run like low five eights and like, again, I, I'm slow. Yeah. And he'd be like, you know, it'd be more efficient to time you with a sundial. I'm like, <laughs> like, that... He roasted me every year. Same, same bit killed me every time hey man it might have sped you up by another uh, by a tenth or two you never know you know if he doesn't say that who knows who knows what your 40 would have been might not have broken six (laughs) fair enough i don't know if i could actually i've been running a lot you you could break six i man i don't know where i'd be i maybe a five two i don't know that's optimistic who knows what what did uh (laughs) what did rich eisen run i can do better than him five seven oh okay I think Rich Eisen, he, he, remember, Rich Eisen's been practicing the form for like quite some time. That's true. He, he gets the good get off. He may not be like an elite speed, but I guarantee you Rich Eisen's got an elite get off. That's fair. That's fair. He, he does look like he has good form. Okay. Well, <laughs> let's get to Junior Colson here. He is not Rich Eisen. Like I said, 6'2, 230 out of Tennessee, one of the best high schools in the state, 128 national in the composite, number 10 outside linebacker. His suitors included LSU, Ole Miss, Oregon, Tennessee, hyper-athletic guy, jumbo safety. Michigan has been going after some of these these hyper-athletic linebackers for the will position kind of of the Josh Uche mold. Future of this position seems to be these more rangy uh, rangy guys who can cover tight ends comfortably uh, in coverage as well as deal with maybe pulling guards or, or larger offensive linemen. So, He's a former wide receiver, loose hips, natural in coverage. That's what stood out most to me in uh, in his film. Good ball skills. Michigan is pitching him as something that I would not expect. Harry, this is information that you brought to me, and I had kind of like a that shocked Pikachu face when you shared it with me the first time. What is Michigan pitching him as? And I, I want the listeners to have the same reaction because I think they will. Um, according to EJ Holland in his article he did with Junior Colson that dropped today, he will be starting out next season as a Viper. Wild. Wild. Mm-hmm. And, and in our first iteration, we were talking about this a lot, but what do you think this means? Do you think this will hold, or how is this different from the Vipers that Michigan has obviously had with Cleek Hudson, Peppers? Um, you know, we'll have uh, a new look at uh at mike barrett this year as the uh as the viper but how how do you think michigan will either hold true with this or how will this position kind of work with junior colson it it feels cheating that i'm just jumping right to uh the uh the thing i talked myself into a bit (laughs) last episode and i'm like huh i feel like it's a stroke of genius but uh long story short um, we both agreed that he's probably not a good fit for what we've seen out of the Viper position the last couple of years right. in terms of where the Viper is more of a de facto safety than a walk-up linebacker. Yeah. I think if you were to switch him into the uh, more of the box linebacker pseudo safety pass rushing role, then I think it could be a really good fit. Um, I think 
that if we were to talk ourselves into a little like if if you were to design the Viper position to best utilize Josh Uche, I think that's what an ideal Junior Colson um, Viper position would look like. Yeah, yeah, and I think I'm starting to form this now where Josh Uche was kind of the the most that we could get out of that sort of um, too small for defensive end, too athletic to be uh, like a true linebacker. So more of that role, but then for the uh, Wisconsin's and Iowa's of the world, you can really shine for being that sort of more de facto Viper where you have more traditional Viper roles, but you're dealing more with offensive linemen that are pulling or, or tight ends that are blocking. So there's more of a role there where we saw previous, uh, previous Vipers kind of almost, in a position to lose, right? When you're dealing with pulling guards, a, a 5'10", 200 pound guy isn't going to stand up to him the way that a junior Colson at two six or two six six two, two hundred forty pounds could stand up to those linemen. So I think that will be the shift where you you kind of change the Viper role for those games based on these sort of offensive personnel where you don't have to deal with these. H backs that are running four, three, five, forties like Saquon Barkley's of the world, and you're dealing more with these uh these run first offenses that rely more on these uh you know larger run sets and, and you'll take on blocks more than operating in space. So I think that's a really great point on your end that, that I hadn't really considered and that you can kind of vacillate the Viper between uh what you want versus what you're gonna be seeing, whereas I believe the the first year uh, Don Brown was here, the Viper really took out, I think, the, the Sam linebacker. Mm, yeah. And now I think the Viper's taking out more of the um, the strong safety than the Sam linebacker. Yeah. So I think that it, it, it is really based on personnel-wise what is available to them. Um, and that's sort of what Don Brown has always been great at. He sure. gets a lot out of his players by, by utilizing them in different spots. Um, I can't remember who the, um, the guy was for, for Boston college, his, his last year there, some six round pick had like 16 sacks as a, um, just sort of hybrid pass rusher. Mm. That's the role I, I could see junior Colson, uh, thriving in. Yeah. Let's call him Bonzi Colson throughout blast from the past. Yeah. And, and this is just a crazy idea. I just thought of if Jordan Glasgow was like six, two, Instead of what was he like five ten maybe five eleven whatever he was, I feel like this would be like the exact position that you would have if you had like a beefier Jordan Glasgow. Where obviously Jordan Glasgow was more of a safety type, but a very similar sort of skill set as a linebacker, but in a larger role. I feel like that's kind of where they wanted Glasgow to be, and he just didn't have the frame for it. But I think that's kind of. And Glasgow's listed here at six one. Was he really? He was. Interesting. So so maybe that's and people like ragged on Glasgow for reasons unknown. Also, I want to have a love fest about the Glasgow's. All three guys, three different positions, all walk ons, all drafted. Insane. All off me in high school. Oh, insane. Just all off me in high school. Wow. <laughs> yeah, that's my fact. Beat them all. We used to play Marmion in the playoffs all the time. That's insane. My uh, one of my best friends uh, caught a game-winning touchdown pass over Jordan Glasgow. Oh, he he he, <laughs> he scored the go-ahead touchdown. He was a stud running back too. Oh wow! He was also a, a safety, I think. Oh wow! Suck it. 
<laughs> suck it, suck Glasgow. It, suck, it. suck it with your millions of dollars and your <laughs> incredible Michigan degree and your four years of playing for the University of Michigan, and you can suck it. And you know what? Take it out on us by having kids and sending them to Michigan as well. <laughs> Yeah, and maybe retweeting the podcast link. <laughs> and if you wanted to come on and like shit talk me, I would let you. There's an open invitation oh, for open invite for the Glasgow's to call me a loser while I run back high school football highlights. <laughs> this is something that'll I, I need twelve episode a twelve episode series uh, of Harry versus the Glasgow's. We'll bring him on each for three episodes just to roast you, Harry. <laughs> this is something I need. Mama Glasgow comes up with all the acres. She's like. You fat pud, like, <laughs> like you would never be one of us. Like, you're not even six feet tall. They're That's... all just mammoths, like roasting me. Yeah, yeah, but but no. So, <laughs> so yeah, a couple other things about Colson. Very fluid in coverage. He's a guy I really want to see operate in space. If there's a way to uh, to enable him in space as much as possible as a perimeter linebacker guy in coverage, didn't see him working as much working off of blocks, working through traffic. Uh, nothing really too jarring about his hits. He's a very sure tackler, but I like his ability to get to the ball and, and work his way across the field in space more so than uh, at the point of contact. But that's not really a concern, just more of his skill set and where his strengths are. So, um, And I actually think that... Um... That I, I'm actually a little bit higher on, on his hitting ability than you are. I think mm. he, again, he, he's not. It's not like he he's like a feather hitting these running backs. No, but no. he's not. But I think a lot of it. I think he's got great form tackling, and you see the explosion with the hips. Yeah, and yeah. that's sometimes um, a lot more important than when you'll see like say just a Jameric Woods kind of guy that that's just a full speed missile in the guys. Right. I think he's going to be a good, solid, surefire tackler. That, that delivers a good pop, but no one's going to mistake for Ray Lewis. Yeah. Well, here's the thing. I'd rather someone take out a guy's legs and they fall over, like, 100% of the time, than a guy who destroys people, you know, 60% of the time, and then other times they bounce off him. I'm taking the guy who's who's making the shirt tackle. And that's that's a better uh, – that that's a great strength to have, a sure tackler – who has the the athleticism to build that sort of strength and, and build that pop. So um, I like to look at that, that I would just, if anyone else just wants to look at like high school linebackers and really evaluate it, yeah. just a little tidbit that, that I look at is, is if the linebacker ends up on top of the running back when he tackles them, yeah. because there's, there's a lot of guys that, that don't have the pop and the, the running back kind of fall sideways. They'll kind of like fall forward. If, if the guy is consistently like getting the pop, to like just put the running back down that's a big positive in terms of their like hip explosiveness right because you're basically stonewalling them exactly yeah you're taking away their entire momentum it's not like they're uh they don't really have a shot to to bounce off where if you're delivering a big hit with just your shoulder not wrapping up not the best technique um guys in a college program are more likely to bounce off of that rather than um you know truly be affected and stopped with their momentum okay uh, so yeah, Junior Colson, really exciting. He's the top rec- you're the top committed defender as a part of Michigan's 2021 class as of today. So uh, I'm excited to to see what he does. I think he's he has a lot of promise um, in this kind of weak side linebacker, uh, you know, this jumbo viper uh, sort of role. Let's let's 
move on. Real quick before, yeah, just real quick before we move on. Yep. Uh, just because I plugged it earlier, everyone go read EJ Holland's uh, terrific piece on uh, Junior Colson, the Colson family. It's a great story. He was a uh, he was in a Haitian um, orphanage during the uh, big Haiti earthquake. Was later adopted by the the Colson family. He is going to be Michigan's fourth refugee on during the Jim Harbaugh years. An absolute great story. Yeah. His nickname yeah. is the Haitian King. That's amazing. And, uh, <laughs> it's it's a great nickname. Go read the story. Incredibly well done, and it's free. Yeah. Yep. And I, I love these these pieces. You did one with Jeff Percy talking a little bit more in depth about his sort of development. I love these uh, the movement of kind of having more personalization of, of these. Uh, recruits and their their kind of cool stories of development and where they're from so i think it's 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 cool to see different um different sources kind of moving with that sort of path so mm. and michigan's had a great uh great reputation with um with refugees over the past few years so <laughs> there's there's something about that that um that tough path you know it, it's got to build a lot of character a lot of motivation and um you know adversity through tough situation so it- it's honestly a much better story than uh than the blind side, in my opinion. <laughs> you I hate the blind side. You hate the blind side. I, I, I honestly had um just this hilarious like, like thought running through my head of just all these SEC boosters going to adopt like kids from like third world countries and making the world a better place, but selfishly just hoping they're like elite football players. <laughs> it's like, you know what? If they're making the world a way better place, but also being a little selfish, I'm okay with it. <laughs> Fair enough. All right, right, let's move on. A couple recruit review episodes uh, that I recorded and released on the uh, uh, MGOFish YouTube channel. Uh, Let's first talk about Osmond Savage, a guy who I have a hard time discerning between um, uh, Junior Colson. So obviously Osmond Savage 2020 class. Uh, He's uh, a guy who uh, fits a very similar profile. He's out of Baltimore, Maryland, um, St. Francis, the powerhouse that also sees uh, fellow classmate Blake Corum in the 2020 class, as well as Nick I. Hill Green, another outside linebacker out of St. Francis. Biff Pogies, their head coach. Um, Osman Savage himself, A-plus name. You were mentioning on the first uh, attempt here that uh, nickname of Ozzy Savage could be uh, truly elite, where Osman Savage may be an 8 out of 10. Ozzy Savage would bring to an 11 out of 10. Exactly. Um, but, it's, going, uh, it's great. Yeah. But Osmond Savage, only 550, uh, according to 247, a three-star. Rivals is much higher, around 150 nationally. Um, but he's right around the same size of Junior Colson, 6'2", 225. Um, a guy who is really adept at working through traffic, a, a more true weak side defensive – or. Uh, sorry, weak side linebacker, a will linebacker um, that that I could tell. Um, so less of this sort of viper role that we're seeing for um, that we're seeing pitched for uh, for Junior Colson, and more of a guy who has a strong, stronger frame, uh, very explosive, but still a guy who who has decent hips, a guy who can hack it in coverage. Give me your thoughts uh, about what Osmond Savage brings to the table and, and what excites you about his skill set. Um, I like him. He's um, a really big athletic guy. I love his hip flexibility, his hip fluidity, his ability to turn and run with guys and also to be able to cover those 
those six to eight yard outs um, in which those are the quick hitting plays. So I, I'm really high on him from that perspective. Um, I, I tend to agree a little bit more with, with Rivals' assessment than 247s, just because I, I think, and we touched on this in, a, in the last one, uh, they have, a, and by the last one, I mean the, the misrecording, <laughs> not the last podcast, but uh, 247 has concerns about him being uh, close to physically maxed out. And I think that's kind of a bullshit moniker in, in that these prognosticators that are really good at their jobs are kind of just looking for, for reasons to ding kids a little bit. If maybe they like him, but they don't love him, and they're looking for a reason to um, kind of a, a thing of confirmation bias. Because I, I don't think it's fair to say to any 18-year-old kid that, that their body isn't capable of adding more weight effectively, that they're not going to get an inch or two taller, any of these things. So that that's where I think the uh, the two four seven dings him a bit um, because I think they see him as a straight up uh, thumping inside linebacker that's going to get up to two forty two fifty um, just kind of those old school inside linebackers and and I see him more of the outside linebacker with some length that that can turn and run with guys so um, I like him a lot I love his name even more nice. I would give him like I think he's like a like a B plus player. Yeah. Like, he's not. He doesn't do everything, but that's okay because he does the things he does at a very high level. He's got a very high motor, and his versatility is really good. I think he's someone that you could uh, shift all across the uh, the linebacking core depending on what look you were seeing. If you wanted to play big, I think you could put him at, at will pretty effectively, and if you wanted to play small, I think he could play a suitable role at Sam. Yeah. Yeah, he's, he, it's definitely seeming like you got you pick the most athletic linebackers you can find, and then um, kind of similar. You mentioned it before, where if they're on the defensive end, if they fill out that role, then okay, they're they're you know they're suited well on the outside. If they grow quite a bit more, you have a hyper athletic defensive lineman like interior guy, and it, it's kind of similar to. Uh, what we're seeing with the linebacker position where you take these guys who are almost like jumbo safeties and then if they continue to grow, okay, you can be a super athletic inside linebacker. Um, and I don't know, they're taking these guys with, with great skills that maybe uh, you fill in where they develop to. Um, and the more flexibility you have or the the less position certainty you have, sometimes that that gives you a lower ranking, but it, it gives you more flexibility as a team with their development and where you, where you see them fitting into your squad. So, and I think that that could be a big part because I think two, four, seven does the most in terms of uh, future prognostication in, in their rankings. And mm-hmm. they gave him a Danny Trevathan comparison, which would be really good. Yeah. But in terms of positional value, uh, I could see like a, like a pretty big ding on the ranking because even in their write up, uh, they gave him all conference talent at top ten school. Right. So it's like if like you think he's going to be an all conference talent at a top ten school, you also think he's going to be a day three pick. And and the correlation I think there is the position they like him the most at isn't that valuable in the NFL anymore. Sure, that's fair. That's fair. And and you look at the projection for uh, for Junior Colson, and it was also day three pick of the NFL. So. 
I think if you look at the ceilings of both players, they're they're pretty close, and it's just a matter of of where Michigan will slot them in and, and how they develop. But I think uh, Osman Savage was a guy who stood out as uh, a guy who who has a pretty pretty high ceiling. Maybe Junior Colson is a bit higher of a floor, but uh, but excited about both of them. Okay, I think it's a pretty fair um, take on that. Yeah. All right, let's let's talk about uh, episode eight of recruit review uh a guy a lot of people were asking for on on the episodes prior to this uh he's a guy out of honolulu hawaii four-star wide receiver roman wilson um true speedster uh really fast he went st louis high school in honolulu he had to wake up at 4 a.m every day to fly to a different island for his school state 100 meter champion with uh mid to low 10.6 uh, 100 meter speed, which is just crazy. Um, a, a team out of Hawaii, I didn't realize, played such great competition. St. Thomas Aquinas. They end up losing his senior year, I think, by 20 points or so, but stuck with them for three quarters. So it's obviously a a high level program. Um, Tagovailoa, Marcus Mariota. Um, yeah. I think Manti Teo. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. If you're if you're a incredibly elite who's who, if you're someone from uh, the Hawaiian Islands or um, the Polynesian Islands, you're, you're playing football at St. Louis. Yep, yep. Uh, Rivals has him as a three-star. Couldn't find a national ranking there, but they have him as the 75th wide receiver in the class. ESPN 247, both a little higher. Uh, his composite ranking is 350. His highest ranking from 247 themselves is just outside of the top 200. Uh, six, 600. Six foot, 175 pounds. Uh, I want to get into his metrics before I get your take here, Harry. 4.3740 would have been fourth overall at the 2020 draft. His 3.96 shuttle would have topped everybody at the 2020 draft combine. And the 39.1 vertical would be top 10 amongst wide receivers at the 2020 combine as well. So guy clearly with elite speed, elite agility, athleticism all around. Give me your take about what you saw in Roman Wilson's film. Um, he's someone I really, really like, um, don't quite love, but really, really like if, if you really break down his ratings, I think on these two, four, seven might be the one you want to go with a, because it's higher and looks better for Michigan (laughs) Uh, and B because, and this is the more serious reason rivals puts a heavy emphasis while two, four, seven puts a heavy emphasis on, um, pro potential rivals puts a heavier emphasis on people they've seen at rivals camps, right? there's a good chance that there probably wasn't a rivals camp in Hawaii. Uh, All of his um, elite times were opening times, which I think is in association with Nike and two, four, seven, I believe. Yeah. He did go to a rivals camp where he won the fastest man challenge. Um, The usual three star to make. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's strange. I, so like I had more, um, more negatives, from his film, but almost because of some omissions from his film. Um, but yeah, more negatives than a, a lot of the previous recruits. But he's not a guy that, like, you get a guy with 4.3740 speed if you can. That You just can't teach speed. You can't teach that change of direction. And there were a ton of flashes of his route running in the camp setting that led me to believe he will be a a producer and he's a guy who will possibly be 
uh, a, a day one or day two draft pick based off of his athleticism alone. Um, what were some concerns that you saw before I dive in? I don't want to influence. I think his hands. Yeah. Um, if you just watch his film, you're not going to see any drops uh, for good reason. Um, because that would make you the world's worst promoter of your talent. <laughs> right. um, but he kind of catches the ball with his body a bit. Um, I think he kind of loses a little bit of concentration sometimes on deep balls. Um, I don't necessarily love his precision in the route running. I think he's someone that you're going to want to use on a lot more drag routes and pure speed routes yeah. than, than post routes, cuts, and um, digs. Um, so I think if you were to, to figure out how to effectively use his straight line speed and his athleticism to get him the ball in space, I think that's a, a big time win. Um, there, there were some concerns. I haven't, I haven't watched him nearly as much as you have. I'm thinking I'm going to get a scouting report up on him soon because there is a lot of really good, uh, um, full games from St. Louis. So yeah. that's kind of how I decide who I'm going to write on. Yeah. But, um, I like him. He, he has an elite characteristic and he has an elite trait. And if you can get someone with a world-class trait, you take it. Yeah. hundred percent, hundred percent. His ceiling is so high if he can mm-hmm. figure out some of these things. So I think you nailed it with the deep ball. There are, there are a few clips from the camp where it, it was also a thing where it seems like he had a really tough quarterback as some at, at least the the film i found from his camps but a couple deep balls there was a, a a ball over the shoulder that he clearly should have caught that he did not as well as one that was slightly underthrown um that he had to adjust to that he didn't reel in um but uh, it, it's so hard to judge hands overall i think uh i think he did an okay job at times catching away from his frame it's not something that i thought but definitely on the deeper balls uh, like judging the ball in the air for those um, maybe like sideline catches or over the shoulder catches that you'd expect more uh, more polished wide receivers, more elite wide receivers to haul in effortlessly. It seems like he struggled with that a bit. Um, things I really liked was he has really good stutters. So both after the catch and like his hitch routes, really good at stopping from his elite speed. It makes it really, really tough for defensive backs to adjust to his stop and go, I think is his bread and butter. So given how adept he is at the hitch routes, that's going to cause a ton of defensive backs to bite just because of how fast he is. So that difference of his 4.37 to a complete zero, um, that'll be huge. I think that he can use, you mentioned the drag routes. That'll be great to take advantage of. He's not a jitterbug, which is like, it doesn't stand out to me because uh, you'd expect someone with a 3.96 shuttle to be more of a jitterbug. He doesn't stand out like a Giles Jackson or that sort of role. He has more of like, and, and I think it's kind of similar to Sainristel, Mike Sainristel, where he doesn't really stand out as a jitterbug as much, but he's very crafty. And uh, there was one sort of crossing route that he ran uh, at a camp where he did some very subtle head fakes as a part of his footwork. It wasn't consistent in his high school film, but on camp, his footwork really shined and he had some subtleties to his route running that he flashed, but I agree, wasn't consistent. So, And I, that's why I think it, yeah. it might be, in terms of his hands, I think it might be a little bit more on the, the concentration side than the actual hand size. That's true. Uh, side, not size. Right. 
because there were a few plays that, that actually made like ESPN three highlights in terms of just unbelievable catches, yeah. acrobatic catches that shows he has the potential to like go up and get balls. Mm-hmm. I think it, it, he just needs to really hone in his concentration and his, uh, and, and the nuances of, of wide receiver and, and when to high point a ball and when not to, I think he, he, high points at times that, that make it advantageous for defenders to break up the pass yeah. that put quarterbacks in a bit of a tougher position. So like you said, it, he feels like someone that that'll randomly have like four catches for 187 yards and, and two touchdowns, Yeah, like two 70 yard touchdowns and a couple like decent catches. Like he's a, he's a home run that the defense has to be aware of on every play. Yeah. He's going to, just burn some dudes like I, I think he's just gonna catch a bunch of people off guard there for my comparison i know you're asking before about that on our first first try at this uh at this podcast but um i would say give ronnie bell a 4.37 time and i think you get there now the concerns i have with and i didn't mention ball security but yeah before i get into ronnie bell comparison there was a lot of his film that was cut short before, like, the tackle, before, like, the final hit. And that really concerns me because I don't, I don't see why you would cut that unless there's something bad that happens, right? Um, it's very strange. I, I've never seen it before on multiple times. If, the, if it's one or two times, then it's like, okay, this is just, you know, a, maybe the film cut out or something, you know, some strange, like, okay, the editor just cut too soon here, but it was at least four or five times. And at that point it was a trend, not just a, a, um, just like a one-off behavior there. So that concerns me. And he, he did have one or two fumbles against St. Thomas Aquinas as well at the end of plays. So ball security is huge. That's going to be something where if he doesn't get that sorted out, maybe that could be something with strength that, and technique that he learns from, but especially early on, that's how you lose reps is if you're not turning the ball over, obviously any, any situation that's not going to instill confidence with the coaching staff. So that's my like number one thing that I need to see before I'm like all in on him. But some of the crafty things with his footwork, his vertical that, that Ronnie Bell also has, I think there's nuances of the wide receiver position that, that Ronnie Bell has that uh, that don't necessarily translate to Roman Wilson, but I think there's there's some some nuances with route running that I saw out of Roman Wilson that reminds me of Ronnie Bell, and just the fact that they're both six foot, more equipped with their skill set for the outside than the inside, where Michigan is really recruiting these shorter kind of jitterbug types for the inside and. I think you need to take advantage of his long speed, Roman Wilson's long speed on the outside with that 4.37 speed. So if you add some speed to, to Ronnie Bell and maybe a little bit less dependable going into uh, college, and I think that's what you get with Roman Wilson. I think if I were to, um, if I were to just posit a, a comparison off of, of what I've seen, I think he, he lines up really, really well with Paris Campbell. Oh, wow. Okay. Paris Campbell was um, the... Uh, 19th best receiver coming out of high school, 130th by 247, 140 on the composite. So he's ranked a little bit higher. Uh, went to LeBron's old school, St. Vincent, St. Mary. He was six foot 180, ran a laser time 441 yeah. with a 416 shuttle. 
Paris Campbell could fly. The um, just when I think of Roman Wilson and, and how to utilize him, the the clip that that plays in my mind is Paris Campbell burning Michigan's defense. Yep. Just with on a, on a shorter drag, just burning them with speed because yeah. they were able to stretch the defense and give them a seam. That's almost exactly how I'd use Roman Wilson. And, yeah. and so I think Paris Campbell is really the name of the game there. That's fair. Yeah, and, and get him Paris in Campbell some. Wasn't the most polished receiver. No. But he was well give him the ball right just find him something that he can run easy get him the ball give him some space and he's gonna just burn people that's it i imagine that being zach smith's uh um like coaching him it's like listen paris before i go uh commit more crimes why don't you uh why don't you just run that route there uh well that doesn't matter just run fast i love this voice that you gave zach smith he's uh he's he's a competitor of ours in the recruiting game his uh his podcast "Menace to Society" oh, is both actually no. named and um, just it's it's one it's like one of those crime dramas that that gives you an insight on the psyche of a of a genuine crazy person. <laughs> so, like, okay, let's let's hope Zach Smith is done with crime. That's it. <laughs> that's yeah, it. That, that's the end of that tangent. <laughs> all right, all right. Let's move. Let's move on from uh, from Roman Wilson. You can check out those. Uh, recruit review episodes on the MGO Fish YouTube channel. Um, let's talk about the current roster. I know we've talked mainly about uh, Michigan recruiting. Um, let's focus on kind of the current depth chart, maybe some, some news that we have going into this season. Um, let's first talk about something that I, I we don't have to talk too long about, but I want to get your take on the offensive line. Obviously, I've loved the direction that Michigan's offensive line is headed in terms of recruiting. Um, we know that I think the tackles are probably the most established, at least the starters with Jalen Mayfield at right tackle, uh, Ryan Hayes uh, at left tackle. Those are guys that have seen time before, but beyond that Michigan is, is introducing a complete new interior that has been set for a couple of years. Obviously you lose Mike and when you, you lose Cesar Ruiz, you lose Ben Bradison. So you have kind of Chuck Filiaga as a guy who is maybe the sixth or, or you know, one of the top uh, offensive linemen off the bench last year. You have Andrew Stuber kind of in that same role. And then a new center at Zach Carpenter is looking at, at that. I'm so high on Zach Carpenter. Yeah, let, let's I'm start so there. unbelievably high on Zach Carpenter. It's not even funny. He was um, – I love him. He's just a big – fat mauler yeah like like he's someone that that because his um he was ranked i think in the mid 500s by 247 um and it it was a genuine uh 50 50 crystal ball debate between michigan and clemson yeah so clemson wanted him um he he's not like he doesn't have like a great body in terms of he's not someone that you would be like holy shit that's like a the second coming of hercules sure but someone that you're like, oh my goodness, that person was was created in a lab to move other large human beings, and he has the attitude to do it. He is a mauler, and he provides the versatility at both guard and center. I think part of the reason he's being projected at center right now, and Nolan Rumler is playing guard, despite Rumler having a bit more experience at center, I think they like Rumler's athleticism a bit more at guard, mm. whereas Carpenter's a straight-line mauler, He's not someone that I would want pulling very often, but he's so good that like you can te- like 
if you could teach a, uh, a silverback gorilla how to snap a football and block people, that would be Zach Carpenter. Like, like he's going to be such a, like a boring center by the sole fact that he's just going to move people and that's it. And that's what you want out of an offensive lineman. I love Zach Carpenter. And he's 2019. He, he'll be a, it will be, he I, think a, I think he's going to start. I think he's yeah. going to be third team all conference next year. Did he redshirt last year? I think um, he played. Yeah, so. He I'm played, not... but I think he was still redshirt, right? Oh, okay, yeah, I think you're right. They have the four games now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, did, I didn't know if he played more than that, but but you're right. A guy with a Clemson offer, um, yeah, I, I, I'm excited about him. Um, Chuck Filiaga is a guy that's just kind of been like waiting in the wings. Obviously, he was a big-time recruit, so I don't know if I'm like necessarily nervous about the interior line. It might be a position we see just some some growth some growth pains where it's just been so dependable the past couple of years there um but i'm, I'm excited chuck filiaga at this point will be a fifth year senior so he he should be a guy with experience um stuber's a guy i've always really liked rumler's a guy who i, I don't know i look at all these names and they're not they're not guys that seemingly like have limitations like guys in the past and and it wasn't that case last year either but i look at the depth chart and i see a lot of promise across the board and it's just a matter it's more of a matter of when than um than if for a lot of these guys so it's it's going to be a weird a very weird sense to look at this offensive line uh with the different names and try to sort that out just because it's been such a consistent thing um but I mean, the rest of the offense I feel is so established. Like we know, we know everything outside of quarterback. Where it's like running back room is probably the best it's been in years. Wide receiver, you got Collins, Bell, um, you got Sanderson, Jackson, a ton of guys coming in that are super athletic as well. And then maybe tight end is an area we can talk about a little bit. Where Nick Eubanks, a guy I was always really high on. Um, well, before before we move on. The uh, the first piece of, of little tidbits I'd like to share. Um, Michigan has been going fervently after another tackle in this upcoming recruiting class. Oh, really? They're trying to get the six. I believe that's because a highly rated tackle from last year's recruiting class is probably on his way out the door. Oh. Um, I think uh, Trevor Keegan is someone that, that could very well transfer. From what I've heard, it's not a um, – it's not a he's scared of competition or, or anything. Um, it, it's strictly a he may not have vibed with, with Jim Harbaugh as well as he thought he was going to. Jim Harbaugh is – I love the guy. He's kind of a prick. Sure. All, from all of the things I've heard, he, he's a bad coach to play for if you're injured. Mm. He, he's an old-school football guy, and, and from what I've heard, Trevor Keegan uh, had a pretty serious injury last year. Uh, not necessarily one that that would require surgery and um, that require surgery and like being completely ruled out, but one that you probably can't play football with. And and there was um, and and this is from a, a source I trust a lot when it comes to that sort of thing. Sure. Uh, so I don't think it's one hundred percent fact, but I think the smoke is there. It, it's it's something I've been hearing for for quite a while and. The more that gets filled in, it, it reminds me a little bit of the Aubrey Solomon thing. Interesting. Okay. It, it reminds me a bit of Aubrey Solomon. Yeah. 
Yeah, and that I mean, if there's if there's guys you that I hate to lose, it's it's tackles. But obviously, those are things that that happen at programs, and you know, players won't always vibe with different coaches. So that's that's a little bit concerning just in terms of depth because outside of Trevor Keegan, he was definitely probably the backup at at right tackle. Um, you have Trent Jones, redshirt sophomore. You have Joel Honigford, who will be a redshirt senior this year. We haven't seen a whole lot from either of those guys. Um, and then at left tackle, you still have backups probably with with uh, who else, man? Like Carson Barnhart and then Jeff Percy as a true freshman. So it, it, depth is getting a little thin there, where if you get one one or two injuries there, you're really struggling and you'll have to – kind of move guys from the inside out, which obviously you don't want to do. Chuck Filiak could. Yeah. yeah. I think same page. I think he could. Yeah. Uh, I, I feel very confident in, in, in their ability. And, and to be honest, like it's not a sure sealed and delivered thing that sure. Keegan's going to be leaving. It's just something I've, I've heard. Um, he, he does have, have a big um, affinity for ed warner most of the offensive linemen do yeah it's actually very normal in college football programs in general for players to not like their head coach yeah um he likes warner so he very well could stick around but i've been hearing a lot of smoke and mm. something that i think it's uh since it's not a fact of him not being good enough to play that i feel comfortable sharing because trevor keegan absolutely is good enough sure yeah if he transferred, he would end up at another high-level Power 5 school. Yep. Yep. And that's just a thing that happens. I know if, if that does happen, people will, will rag on, <laughs> on on Michigan Harbaugh for that. But it just happens. It just happens. Yeah. Not, not every relationship yeah. will will vibe. Co- every every coach I've met will tell you that they've uh, they've made a mistake in terms of uh, how they treated someone. And, it, and if that is the case, I'm sure Jim Harbaugh has made mistakes with players in the past. He's not the most uh, uh, huggable, huggable football coach, and I'll just leave it at that. Yeah. Yep. Fair enough. Um, let's. So I feel like we don't really need to talk about wide receiver that much. We know Collins. We know Ronnie Bell. Like we talked about it a lot. Yeah. Recently. Yeah, we have. Same let's with wide receiver. Let's skip that. And and are you going to say let's skip running back? Too? Yeah. Yeah. We know the room with Charbonnet, Haskins, Evans. Not a whole lot has changed there. Turner and Blake Corum. Corum will probably redshirt, but. Um, let's talk about quarterback here and we can, let's try to keep it. Kudos to a true Wilson grad transferring to Northern Colorado. Yeah. Good on you. Walk on to scholarship to, uh, division one starting, uh, running back at Northern Colorado. So good for him. You love to see it. Yeah. He, he, He was a running back. I thought was criminally underrated. He was so crafty. He was so great with his change of direction. Yeah. I'm excited for him. Uh, to be yeah. having good. that opportunity. Wilson, we love you. Good luck. Yeah. Uh, um, good, good, firm, happy endings on that one. Yeah, hundred um, percent. All right, let's let's go to quarterback. Um, I know we have talked personally about this a bit, and I don't know how much you want to share, but obviously it's a battle between McCaffrey, Milton. You got uh, Cade McNamara waiting in the wings as well. Um, if if I'm a, and I don't know if I've shared this with you, if I. If Joe Milton starts, I'm more excited. If Dylan McCaffrey starts, I'm more understanding. So, And if, uh, and if Dan Villari starts, he's just the second coming of Tebow. Oh, man. Would that, would that be 
would that be either that's either best case or worst case that Dan Villari is just the week one starting quarterback? That right? would be wild. I would love wild. to see it. Absolutely, it would never happen. No, but if for some reason he was just like Tim Tebow 2.0, it's like yeah, okay. I mean, I guess. Yeah, it would also um, like just obliterate the quarterback room. I feel. Like. Oh yeah. Oh my goodness, we, uh, obliterate. It'd be so, insane. But could I could I interest you in a very um, it, it's currently in in development right now. Could I interest you in a little JT Daniels as a treat? Ooh, little JT Daniels. Ooh, that's a bingo. <laughs> I've um I've heard from from incredibly reliable sources um, that Michigan that it. I believe, and this is personally what I believe, this is not what I've been told, but from what I've been told from people, I believe there is a 65 to 70% chance that JT Daniels comes to Michigan if he's immediately eligible. Yeah. If he's not, I think there's a 0% chance, but Michigan's coaching staff has been recruiting him uh, very under the radar. Sure. Now, there's a lot of smoke out there about LSU and Tennessee, Mm. Uh, both of those schools are in it for him. Yeah. But from what I have been told and from several different people I trust and um, from conversations that I've been privy to, I believe that Michigan is intentionally um, stringing this along incredibly under the radar until it's time to make a move. Because if it comes out that they are interested in JT Daniels, it will kill their quarterback room if he doesn't come. Right. Because JT Daniels coming would would almost be a death knell for the Dylan McCaffrey era because Daniels is actually a year younger than him class wise. Right. Uh, he's in the same class as Joe Milton. Um, it would it would probably cause him to transfer as he's already I believe graduated from Michigan. Right. Yeah. Or, or will at the end of this semester. Yeah. If it's already gone or not, I, I don't know. Times are relevant at this point. <laughs> so I I do believe. There is genuine interest on both sides. I believe that Josh Gaddis's offense is a driving force into not only JT Daniels' interest in Michigan, but also his father Steve's interest in JT Daniels coming to Michigan. They see they see JT Daniels in the Joe Burrow mold of uh, Keaton Slovis is just a really really talented quarterback that that things didn't work out for, but JT Daniels is ready to start for an elite program. They think he can be a difference maker. Yep. Um, they think that the, I, I believe that Joe Brady leaving LSU is probably really bad for their chances. Yeah. Um, I would that would lead me to believe that um, Tennessee probably isn't going to be the option, considering I think they got Jim Chaney from Georgia. Mm. Um, I wouldn't trust the guy that that scared away uh, Justin Fields. Right. But um, I, I do genuinely believe that JT Daniels, if given immediate eligibility, will be Michigan's starting quarterback next year. And I have been told the Daniels family, um, like the Patterson family, has a significant uh, financial investment in their legal team. Oh, interesting. So, so I think that is uh, really good, um, which, which probably means that JT Daniels will almost certainly end up somewhere random like Michigan. <laughs> date and just win the Heisman <laughs> but uh but I do believe that that will be um a very real discussion in the near future uh again this is all depending on 
his immediate eligibility. Sure. If he's not immediately eligible, he's not coming to Michigan. Yeah. Because it would be a tough sell because no matter who starts, Michigan will most likely have an incumbent next year. Right. Yep. And it's really tough to displace incumbents. Yep. Hundred percent. Um. Yeah. I mean, that's juice. That's juicy intel, and it'll be. It'll be interesting to see the. Uh, I first of all, I think it's great. You add as many people to any position, and it it's any guys who can potentially contribute at a high level. You add them to your roster if there's a spot. There's Absolutely. there's no difference whether it's a running back, wide receiver, defensive tackle, whatever it may be. If there's a guy who can potentially contribute, think of Mike Dana. How great how. People like almost didn't react to that as well. This was a guy who was all Mac level and what six round draft pick, um, a guy who added plenty of really valuable depth at the defensive line position last year that no one was against. It didn't displace anyone. Um, it only added more talent at that position group. You're going to see a very different reaction if that does happen. I know we talked about this, Harry, but you're going to see a very different reaction if he comes into the quarterback room just because of how Michigan's previous uh, quarterback um, transfers have not worked out or just the quarterback room in general, that should not be an indicator of people's that's like saying, Hey, there's a lot of, I don't even know what it says. There's a lot of tornadoes here. Oh, look, there's going to be another tornado. And it's like, that's a terrible analogy, but you look at the the top programs last year: Joe Burrow's LSU, Justin yeah. Fields, Ohio State. You have Jalen Hurts at Oklahoma. All these top programs depend on, and not necessarily it depend on Michigan. Yeah, but but you you can thrive with a transfer quarterback. You see true freshmen coming in and really having a big impact. You don't need multiple years to make it, and it's a position where if you lose one capable quarterback and you don't have a second you're done you're done think of think of how many injuries michigan has suffered at the quarterback position and just i mean the john o'corn right like you just don't have the guys there to pick up the reins when when it their position is called so if you can add a jt daniels whether he's first string or third string obviously i think he would probably be uh very close to first string if not starting but then you have Dylan McCaffrey, who'd at least be a dependable second string, and Joe Milton, a very tantalizing third string. That's an insanely dependable room. And the odds of losing one quarterback, at least in Michigan's case, pretty decent. Mm-hmm. You hate to say that, but at any other position, you take a guy of that skill set, and people are ecstatic. It's only because of Michigan's past history at the quarterback transfer situation that is, I think, will skew people's view of that transfer and people will lose confidence. But really, it's a case of get as many people in your on your roster that are talented and potential high-level producers. And that's what he would offer. Yeah, it's, um, it's, the, one, it's the one position that you can get elite talent for, um, for reasons outside of not being good enough character concerns or being like thrown out of school right right high quality defensive ends don't hit the market very often because you can play three or four of them in a game and get them all equal reps yep we saw with the ability to elevate a program i i genuinely thought 
Ed Ordron could be on the hot seat going into this season. And now LSU is one of the best programs in college football again because they got an elite quarterback talent to fit their system and to elevate them. Right. Oklahoma three years in a row. Oklahoma was was probably four years in a row now because Baker had two years. Oklahoma was kind of like an afterthought. Right. Right. They, They weren't. They were they were a third banana in the Big Twelve for three years. Yep, they were they were significantly behind Baylor. Yeah, and uh, TCU at the same time, and yep. so yep. they bring in Baker Mayfield. He wins the Heisman. Kyler Murray wins the Heisman. Jalen Hurts gets invited to the Heisman. Um, they make the playoff all those years. They're now an elite, elite, uh, and they've always been an elite blue blood. But right. in terms of current, I would put them. Um, probably a slight rung ahead of Michigan just because uh, they're, they're a consistent playoff uh, a t- team now. Yeah. And it's, if you, I think it, it's really, um, it's really hypocritical to say the thing like that Jim Harbaugh both needs to do whatever it takes to beat Ohio state and just trust the guys he recruited out of high school. Right. Okay. Because going to get JT Daniels would be, um, him doing whatever it took to beat Ohio State. Right. And that's kind of where we are in big-time college football now. And by the way, Jim Harbaugh recruited JT Daniels out of high school. Right. He recruited him hard. He would have um, – he was Michigan's top target in um, the Caden at McNamara class, and yeah. then JT Daniels reclassified to start for US, USC as a 17-year-old. Right. So he's got the elite talent. He's got the elite coaching. He's put up great, great – performances in huge games went on the road to an undefeated Notre Dame and threw for 350 yards no interceptions nearly pulled a massive upset and it's okay I I think as long as Michigan doesn't promise JT Daniels the starting spot I'm okay with it exactly I don't think you can promise a guy and then start him even if he plays worse than um uh, Dylan McCaffrey or Joe Milton. I don't think that would be the case, but I think that would be what kills the program more than taking a transfer because, I mean, no one talks about um, no one talks about Lincoln Riley not being able to recruit quarterbacks just because he won back-to-back Heisman's with transfer quarterbacks. Right. We'll talk about Ryan Day being unable to uh, develop his own guys because his first year as a head coach, he got a transfer quarterback to the Heisman. Right. Right. Even uh, other schools that, that use transfers and, and there's quite a few. It's, it's fine. It's a very like reasonable thing. And JT Daniels ideally would be at Michigan for one year. Yeah. If everything goes well and according to plan, even if he's only there for two years, the people saying, Oh no, like we, we can't recruit him because we might scare off JJ McCarthy. Like, are you kidding me? J.J. McCarthy's 16 years old. Like, right. I think he has immense talent as well. I think he's going to be a stud at the next level. But if, if, you're, if the sake of your program is a true freshman coming in and starting from day one and leading you to the promised land, you're in trouble. Yeah, that's not, right? that, that's not a reliable like, formula. No, and if J.J. J. J. McCarthy is like, wow, J.T. Daniels was an absolute stud last year. He could win the Heisman. Like, yeah, I'll come sit behind him for a year. Right. It's like DJ Ugalele um, sat, is sitting behind Trevor Lawrence this upcoming year. Yeah. He was the top quarterback. Yep. Bryce Young in Alabama is probably going to sit behind Mac Jones for a year. Yep. Or not. I mean, that's a bit different. Sure. But um, 
elite quarterbacks very, very rarely start from day one unless even even if you're Trevor Lawrence, Trevor Lawrence didn't start right away. Right. Kelly Bryant did. So it's if if you're just gonna throw the reins to a true freshman, you're fucked. Yep. So JT Daniels, I think, is an elite player. I think he would fit Josh Gaddis's system insanely well. I think he's got the accuracy and the poise and the composure to stand in the pocket and hit guys because he, he played quarterback behind a Tim Drevno offensive line. Yeah. Like, you, you want to talk about upgrading. Michigan would be upgrading, but, boy, so would JT Daniels. Exactly. Man. Imagine going from the Clay Helton, Tim Drevno conglomerate on offense to uh, Josh Gaddis and Jim Harbaugh. It's like, that's like going from uh, from ground beef to sirloin. <laughs> yeah, you're not wrong. You're not wrong. It's a, it would be a better situation for everybody. And I think you nailed it on the head where as long as it's a true meritocracy where the best person mm-hmm. wins the job, that is the ideal situation. I think it's a, a thing where obviously people's favorite position is the backup quarterback and just ensuring that we're, we're putting the be- best guy, Michigan's putting the best guy out there is, is where the concern lies. So uh, I, I agree with everything you said and, and it's well said. Okay, we're at the one hour mark. We're at the one hour mark. We got to run through this top five. All right, we're going to do, let's do this top five quickly. Keep it at 10 minutes. Let's do five through two for each of us here. I'll get us started. Um, We're we're talking best 30 for 30s. And similar to when we did our top five sports movies, these can be your favorite, whether you think it's the best, like most well done or Mm -hmm. uh, best critically, whatever your criteria may be. I, there's a lot of options here, so I think we'll probably have some diverse answers here. Um, yeah. All right, I'll go through five through two, and then I'll, I'll I'll throw it over to you to do five through two, and then we'll go through some honorable mentions after we reveal our number ones. All right, number five for me, uh, Pony Express. This was covering... Pony Express. Oh, you're right. You're right. This covers Sorry, the... I'm cut you off on No, that. no, you corrected me there. This covers the story of... of SMU receiving the death penalty for their recruiting violations uh, in the 1980s. First and only time football program has received such a penalty. Uh, just crazy. See how just to see how brazenly crazy they were <laughs> in the years leading up to it, uh, and really NCAA made an example out of it. It's almost guaranteed we're not going to see that again. Just with the landscape that college football is at, it would decimate. NCAA doesn't want to see it again. Oh yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, but just an incredible story. Um, really well done, I think, as well. Um, number four, the two Escobars. This is just an insanely interesting story. I would say it's one of the best, well, like most well done 30 for 30s overall. It's not my favorite, but it deserves a place on this list for production alone. Um, the story itself is connecting the Colombian soccer player Andres Escobar and obviously drug lord Pablo Escobar. Phenomenally done documentary. I won't spoil the story there, but it's just an insane story and, and the level of um, impact that the sport had on uh, Colombia at the same time of, you know, obviously drug lord Pablo Escobar himself. Um, number three, survive in advance. This is one, uh, the Jim Valvano story, one that gets me a little bit emotional. So it follows the 1983 NC State Wolfpack team, their path to the national championship. Jim Valvano, the image of him just running around after looking to hug somebody still gets me a little bit choked up. The Jimmy V Foundation, 
uh, for cancer research, still running strong today in his memory. And one of the best speeches uh, of all time from Jamie Valvano that's, uh, that always runs around March Madness. So just a great, great story. And I'm a sucker for March Madness. So it's one of my favorite stories around that, that time of year. And then number two, this is without a doubt the darkest 30 for 30, uh, Hillsborough. And this is one that I feel like not a whole lot of people have seen, but it, it is chilling. It's about a social disaster at Hillsborough Stadium in Sheffield, South Yorkshire, England. Um, it's crazy because 96 people died from this disaster, 766 injured, which is just the toll of of chaos as a part of this event is just insane to me. Um, it, it really follows the uh, the complexity here of the crowd mentality importance of proper stadium engineering kind of like a civil engineering of a stadium overall it was it was during the fa cup semifinal between liverpool and nottingham forest um Mm -hmm. and i won't kind i won't go into the the kind of details of what caused this disaster but um it's really one of the biggest sports tragedies overall and uh, it's really chilling, really, really interesting to see. And I think it's it stands out as just a very different um, experience where you're not even really paying attention to the team, but more of like the sports organization and the, the effect that an event like this has on a community and on the sport overall. So very interesting. Um, just off that real quick, my senior, one of the best courses I've taken in my college career was a uh, – a world history through soccer class. Oh, that's got um, And, and yeah. one of the, the really haunting projects was, um, was people describing how they're being like crushed and trampled at, at Hillsboro. Oh. Obviously these, these were survivors and yeah. you can just feel your chest tighten and, and you can't breathe while you're reading it. It's so visual and, and scarring. And I think that's an incredible pick on your part. Yeah. It's crazy. It's, it's a, really crazy one it's one where i probably won't go back and watch it because yeah. it's it's like just that chilling it's but uh no watchability yeah like incredible piece anyway yeah exactly all right harry give me your five through two okay my five through two uh number five the best there never was yeah uh, marcus dupree's story yep. uh i loved it part of how i i rank 30 for 30s is a what did i learn mm-hmm. okay what did i learn uh two what did i feel Sure. Okay. So, so if it if it um, brings out emotion, if I learn new stuff, that new awesome stuff, um, like it's up there for me. Yep. An incredible story. Never knew about Marcus Dupree. I was yeah. a, a huge college football guy. It was like a like a holy cow moment for me in terms of this guy was the real deal. Yeah. Uh, number four, the U part one. Mm. Um, I loved it. Uh, the U part two is awesome as well. I only wanted to pick one of them and I'd pick the original just in terms of the style of how that was done in terms of flashy Miami while also like, like humanizing the players that that the sports illustrated and and uh, ESPNs of the world back then kind of wanted you to hate. Yeah. Um, I loved it. Number three, the 85 bears. Mm. Uh, I thought this was a great one. It's, and in terms of it, it may, may not be something that, that I learned as much as, um, just sort of the like tying it together with the the players um, writing the the letter trying to get Buddy Ryan like to stay as defensive coordinator. Yeah, and at the end, Buddy Ryan 
writing the letter to his players thanking him for that. Yeah. And just hearing, like, Big Mike Singletary and, like, Dan Hampton, Steve McMichael in genuine tears, like, reading it because it's so emotional. Like, I'm even getting emotional now. Yeah. I'm, a, I, I'm an unabashed crier at stuff. <laughs> just seeing, like, big football guys, like, crying because of, like, how much, like, their defensive coordinator meant to them and, and all the the – and how it was – an imperfectly perfect team in how it was built. Um, I, I love the 85 bears. That was um, as a lions fan, it was tough to put them on there, but man, like if, if you want to talk about scenes that get me every time, the, the letter scene in 85 bears gets me. Yeah. That's Number a great two, scene. I have the two Escobars. Nice. Agree with everything you said in state. It was, it was also really the first movie that made me say like, Oh, you know what? Like watching subtitles isn't bad, right? It's like this is pretty cool. So it, I can thank two Escobars for Parasite. There you go. Uh, so you touched on it very well, Pablo Escobar, Andres Escobar, um, an incredibly gripping thirty for thirty. One of the first ones too. Yeah, early. It, it really blew the door down in terms of like, holy shit, there are some legitimate masterpieces on here. Right. Yep. All right. That's your, that, can, I, can I guess your your number one? You can. Is it the Fab Five? No. Okay. No, it is the U because I love the feeling of it. I love the uh, the excitement around it. I feel like they captured kind of the essence of the um, of like that time that the talent that they had on the on that roster was just insane <laughs> and felt like a team that they could just do whatever they wanted and take a million penalties and it wouldn't matter. They were just that much better. Um, yeah, I, I love the U. I think it was very well produced and one of the like most fun um, uh, 30 for 30s, just seeing the excitement of, of that team and the, that roster overall. So, uh, and it was interesting, like the, the shift in the recruiting and the willingness to go into these areas in Florida that hadn't been that have been avoided for, for, you know, multiple reasons. So, uh, so yeah, I think the U is a classic. Um, I agree with you about the U part two also being very interesting, but only choosing one. Um, all right. You're number one, Harry. Um, is it bad boys? It is not. So it's interesting. I don't have fab five or bad boys thought they were both really good. Yeah. But in terms of like the learning stuff, they were both topics that I had, been invested in pretty mm-hmm. heavily in terms of being a Michigan and a Pistons fan. Mm-hmm. So neither of those, they're both great documentaries. So. Sure. My number one, would you like to posit any more guesses? I, I don't want to. I don't want it, to. It's Survive in Advance. Oh, yeah. The, the one I've watched the most, um, everything you said, I it made me tear up multiple oh, yeah. times. Um, the, the players um like like reuniting towards the end and, and walking around the gym lorenzo charles um i think it's lorenzo charles mm-hmm. walking around the gym and, and just getting teary-eyed and reminiscent and, and it it really made me learn a ton too things i didn't realize was just how close they came to losing round one to pepperdy yeah now that they they kind of needed a bit of a miraculous comeback it's it's tear jerking. It's incredibly informative, and it's really funny in terms of um, towards the end, them breaking down the uh, the championship game against Houston. Yeah, uh, their shooting guard was like, and I knew there was no way in hell uh, Wittenberg was passing me the ball. Right. So I was just going to stand in the corner and hold my hand up. Yep. And um, <laughs> just the the reliving from multiple angles 
the legacy that that team has, has left in terms of iconic moments and, and good it's done for society, um, their connection with, with Valvano, yep. uh, and, and sort of how – and what I love most is, is how they were the underdog of all underdogs. Yeah. They weren't the Ralph Sampson Virginia teams. They weren't Michael Jordan in North Carolina. They weren't elite Duke teams with, with Jay Billis and um, Johnny Dawkins and, and those guys. They were the little school in between all of that that somehow went from being uh, – that needed to win the ACC tournament just to get in. It was it was UConn before UConn was UConn. Right, exactly. It was, uh, it was incredible, and it's, it's one that – Again, when I was thinking of it, it, it just – it's perfect for me. Yeah. I don't think – yeah. Yep. No, I'm with you. Uh, some honorable mentions for me. I also had the best that never was uh, on my honorable mention. You don't know Bo just because Bo Jackson was insane to watch all of his film. So that one's really fun. Um, without bias, really sad story about Len Bias, basketball player out of University of Maryland, died two days after being selected in the uh, 86 NBA draft. Uh, from a cocaine-induced heart attack. Just a really sad story, but I learned a lot there. Um, Rand University, just because I oh, man. love Randy Moss. And uh, just his path was, was pretty crazy, and his athleticism is still uh, crazy to think about. And then final one is more like impact overall and something that I think is really relevant. Not necessarily a great doc, but a story that I feel like a lot of people don't know is uh, Fantastic Lies. So this was a documentary about the Duke lacrosse sexual assault controversy in 2006. I mean, I remember this as, you know, I was 14 at the time. That was a huge deal. It turned out to be a false accusation. The the woman who who had those accusation was, um, it, they were completely false, but it still ruined a bunch of lives. And mm-hmm. I feel like that was such a secondary aspect, the, the false nature of that. And, um, it's very shocking in terms of, of the impact. I think it's still very relevant of the importance of, um, you know, on both sides, giving, giving victims proper, um, you know, proper weight to, to accusations and allowing for facts to come out before, um, before giving judgment. And that was really one of the first like huge scandals where, um, I feel like there, there's a lot to be learned from that situation and just lots of emotion involved in that uh, documentary. So very informative, very uh, kind of eye-opening about that that whole uh, that whole scandal overall. Yeah, my my honorable mentions are Queen for the Big East. Mm, great kind one. Of gives you that. I, I didn't think I was going to love it that much, yeah. but um, just the the passion and the unity that that these guys had, and old Lou Carnesaca saying it's like Pittsburgh and Boston College. Yeah. Didn't matter, but Syracuse, yeah. they were one of us. That one <laughs> And just, like, like the genuine, like, like, animosity that these guys had for each other, the stories I didn't know. Your Queen for the Big East was, was one that I didn't think was going to uh, – I, I didn't think I was going to like nearly as much as I did. Yeah. Funny excesses on there. Uh, Youngstown boys uh, cut for obvious reasons. Mm-hmm. Um and June seventeenth, nineteen ninety four. Ooh, good um, one. And with that elite in that that I thought about putting on here, but I didn't because I think it was technically just a thirty for thirty presents. Would yeah. be um, the OJ Simpson. Yeah. I mean, talking about the Last Dance, that was a B minus in comparison to the 
documentary masterpiece that uh, Made in America, the O.J. Simpson one was. That's phenomenal. Talked about, and I think that one captivating everyone Monday through Friday, two hours every day. Like, my goodness, that one is, uh, I think, my um, – my, my all-time favorite viewing experience ever. Um, and so I'll leave it at that. Uh, Benji also, I think, deserves to be on there. Mm. Um, as, as a Chicago-ish guy, suburbs of Chicago, uh, Simeon is, is well-known for its basketball prowess. Yep. Uh, it's well-known for its, I think, number seven? I think the Benji Wilson, Jabari Parker, and uh, I think it was Derek Rose, right? Yep. Yeah, Derek Rose number. Um, and it's and everyone, everyone around that, that follows high school basketball kind of knows Benji Wilson, but no one knew Benji Wilson. Right. So it was, that was something where if you could just imagine, for example, and for this upcoming class, like just Ebony Bates, just being shot and like, it's an incredibly grim like thing. And I would never want to like, like actually speak that new existence, but just the number one unanimous, like this guy's got next player, just being tragically gunned down yeah it, insane it's horrific right absolutely horrific and the documentary did a fantastic job not only telling us about benji wilson but also some of the, the systematic issues in chicago right and how it's it's an imperfect place for a lot of these kids man yep it it's really tragic for a lot yep so yeah that that's all i gotta say yep I, I love 30 for 30s overall, not just for the positive stories, but for, uh, like you said, those learning opportunities. So, um, do, you, do you have a worse 30 for 30? Oh. Didn't like? I didn't like, uh, what was it? Was it called, like, Broke? Or what was Broke? it? Broke wasn't very good. Yeah, I didn't really like that one. I didn't um, like um, the, the Marion, not Marion, yeah, Marion Barber, I think. Oh, yeah. Barber, I think that one stunk. No, and uh, the Guru of Go, I hated. I hated Guru of Go. I don't know if I've seen that one. Don't. Okay. <laughs> I, I, I've learned something new uh, through this podcast. All right, it's, Harry. It's it's Paul Westhead. Yeah. And it's um, Hank, Hank Gathers and Bo Kimball. And they took what should have been like, like a terrific and gripping story and turned it into a like, oh, here's Paul Westhead quoting Shakespeare and, like, uh, just this uh, – it just, just I a think, mess. <laughs> you talk about ruined um, ruined potential, that's that's it. Yeah. Well, they can't all be winners. They can't all be winners. But you're a winner, Harry, for sticking with me on this second try here okay. for this podcast. Um, <laughs> and pre- go fifth after dark. Yeah, seriously. It's, it's I, I'm going to laugh so hard if you're looking you're like – I didn't record. Like, nope. <laughs> I checked. Like, like if, if the first one actually did record, but you were just a little confused and, and mm. you, you turned off the recording and now we, we missed all that. This is the first time I've, I've ever done this. So at least, at least this is uh, the learning opportunity I caught after a half hour. So next we might have to do uh top five, like embarrassing moments or like embarrassing things like that could happen to people. Oh, Maybe man. embarrassing dreams. <laughs> like uh like tom and you show up to school naked maybe maybe something like that that's a, a bit i don't know if i'm ready to share that with our listeners okay, we'll, they, we'll, they don't need we'll, to <laughs> we'll lock that down I'll, I'll think of another good one. we'll workshop it we'll workshop it i'll i'll, I'll get a uh a, a listener friendly version of yeah, that <laughs> yeah if you're if you're a listener and you hear this and you like this and you like hearing us talk a 
like and subscribe the podcast. Yes. Be, interact with us on uh, on Twitter. I love interacting with people. That's true. Be, don't be afraid to uh, to give a suggestion. My DMs are always open. That's true. If you are a uh, hot and single uh, female listener, my DMs are especially <laughs> open to you. But uh, I, I have a feeling that our audience caters a little towards the uh, the other side. Yeah, if you're an ugly middle-aged man and you still want to get your suggestions, you can also DM me um, mm-hmm. strictly for suggestions. Probably not what Harry's looking for for the uh, ulterior. <laughs> All right, Harry. You can find Harry on Twitter at HarrisonQuinn90. You can find me on Twitter at Stephen Toski. You can find Garrett Fishaw at, at uh, MGoFish itself. Beyond that, guys, thanks for listening in, Harry. Thanks again for taking part in this podcast. Any final words? Uh, this is a lot of fun. Um, be responsible. Places are starting to responsibly open up a little bit more. Yeah. Be responsible not only uh, to your health and your family's health, but people you come in contact with as well. Uh, I'm not saying lock yourself in your room and don't do anything, but you know, wear a mask, be practice smart. social distancing, be smart, be respectful. And um, just don't be an idiot. I'm with you, Harry. Don't be an idiot. That's how I live every day of my life. I'll uh, I'll, I'll continue to do that. Uh, <laughs> otherwise, thanks, everybody, for listening. As Harry mentioned, make sure to subscribe, share it with your loved ones. Be safe out there. All right, Harry, thanks again. And as always, go blue, man. Go blue.